So, you've written your first novel, Robert P. Fitton. Non-Star Trek novel, that is. Me, write a novel? Say what? I'm just out of school, just a kid. The world's a big place with lots of high rollers and talented people. I've always been creative, but to write a novel? Are you kidding me? I come from a middle-class background where it was a big deal that my brother and I graduated from college. In retrospect, I think my doing exceedingly well at school gave me the boost to think I had the ability to do well. At the time, I was working unhappily in retail. My job friends were great and I enjoyed that, but to make a decent living, I wanted to be an outside sale. Here's the secret I carried with me during my sales career. Once I began writing, that's what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I could do numerous things all at once and that writing would surpass my sales career. Wrong. Yes, I could juggle many things in the air at once, but not proficiently. So it's the end of 1977. Star Wars is all over the place, and I'm living in off-campus housing in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm eking out a living in retail. So why oh why did I begin pounding the keys of the Smith Corona portable typewriter? It wasn't to smile at my cats. The need to create was there. I had and have a crazy personality imitating people and doing voices. But other things were happening at this time. It was clear to me that my dad was terminally ill. He would not be able to enjoy his retirement after a long life with a good work ethic. I realized that writing was something I enjoyed doing and I was cognizant now of how short life can be. You know life can be long And you've got to be so strong And the world is so tough John Lennon from Imagine. Well, the hell with not doing this. 1977 through 1979 was the time to begin. Although very ill, my dad read some of what I wrote with the comment, you made this all up? Now that doesn't sound like a literary critic, but it was an affirmation. And my mother hawking the manuscript around town. Nobody said to me, don't waste your time. I had the support from people who mattered. I was always enamored with outer space and the space program. I gazed into the heavens on cold winter nights with my 3X telescope. I even took an elective a few years later at UMass and went looking and listening to the radio telescope signals from the university's radio telescope up in the hills. And I read Science Digest every month and thought Isaac Asimov was certainly superhuman with his incredible knowledge. And then came Cosmos and Carl Sagan's personal voyage around the universe and proliferating scientific knowledge of planet Earth. This series affected me cerebrally as well as on a spiritual and scientific level. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. The size and 
cage of the cosmos are beyond ordinary human understanding, lost somewhere between immensity and eternity is our tiny planetary home, the Earth. For the first time, we have the power to decide the fate of our planet and ourselves. This is a time of great danger, but our species is young and curious and brave. It shows much promise. When I wrote the Star Trek novel, The Apex of Power, I had the template from the TV show and several books from Gene Rodberry, David Gerald, and a handbook of science fiction by Asimov. And I had taken a semester-long course in science fiction at UMass. Early on, I watched many science fiction movies, including Forbidden Planet, Invaders from Mars, The Blob, The Day the Earth Stood Still, War of the Worlds, just to list a few. As a baby boomer, I'm part of the first generation to be brought up on television. And with that wave came The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, One Step Beyond, Captain Midnight, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, and Lost in Space. Okay, so all those shows and movies are floating around inside my head in late 1977 into 78. The template of the hidden project and the president getting involved in that project as one man tries to save his town and then the world is always a common theme in sci-fi movie. I found myself caring more about Polanski once he decided to save the world from Dr. Richards. However, the way he went after Charlie Stevenson in the beginning was not smart, but commendable that he'd go after his friend's attacker. I wish I had gone deeper with the descriptions and the characters. I created a book called The Red Light District, the name clearly signaling nefarious interactions. It's quite a stretch to believe that one man could run away with a project in the sandstone cliffs of Redstone, Arizona. If you watch a 48-minute TV show, you can get away with it. I was influenced by Route 66 going across Arizona in 1971 on a California spring break vacation. Having been brought up in Massachusetts, I had never seen landscapes like those red cliffs. Dr. Richards as a maniacal scientist is a direct result of Jonestown and over 900 people following their leader to death. The delusional Richards is interesting because he's not too far removed from Jonestown. President book is difficult to write, my agent told me. The presidential part of this book is actually the best part. It has tension, excitement, and a sense of consequence. And we have Joe Polanski at Camp David in the middle of this god-awful project which unfolds in the book nicely. There isn't a profound meaning because Richards is a little bit over the top, but it's all neatly tied up in one big Christmas bow at the end. As I have done with my other early efforts, adding the audio and sound effects upgrades the work, and it's a freebie. The Fitten Books website is at www.fittenbooks.com. I'm Robert P. Fitten. Thank you very much.